Did you feel like you he, he swept you off your feet? Totally. Okay. Totally. I was totally swept off my feet. Very quickly. Oh, Go through the whole within thing. Within about three weeks, he'd moved in with me. Bloody hell. Wow. Yeah. Innocently thinking, but actually, that was that was the tipping point. Why did you not have a pound note in your own bank? Uh, because he controlled all the money. So you couldn't say, give me a couple of grand, or give me a G, or get no, 500 quid, no. hold it my own money. No. You had no. to ask every time you to wanted ask, something. Because that's control. What the narcissist has to do is isolate you as fast as they can. You lose who you are. Do you, did you completely lose your identity on Karen? Yes. And I, and I actually got to a point where I was like, do you know what? I don't want to do this anymore. Welcome to the Eventful Lives podcast. I'm your host, Dodge, and I'm the founder of Bournemouth Sevens, the world's largest sport and music festival. On this podcast, I speak to fascinating people who have all lived eventful lives. If you haven't already, do us a favour, press the follow button and check us out at Dodge Woodall on Instagram, TikTok and YouTube, where we've now had over 40 million views. I have been contacted by many people wanting to share their own personal stories since releasing the episode about surviving a dangerous narcissistic relationship back in September 2022. Karen Wery Easterbrook is one of those people. She shares her personal experience of being in a relationship with a narcissistic husband and the devastating impact it had on her life. She describes how her husband's behavior made her feel trapped, isolated and powerless and the various tactics he used to control and manipulate her. This episode is a powerful reminder of the lasting impact of narcissistic abuse, but it also offers hope and inspiration to anyone who may be going through a similar experience. This is the eventful life of Miss Karen Wery Easterbrook. Becky, welcome back. Thanks for having me back, Dodge. Yeah, I'm very excited about this one because this is this is a new one for us. You and I did an episode 103, the dangers of being in a narcissistic relationship. And that went down unbelievably well because we saw the amount of hundreds and hundreds of messages coming in from every social media platform saying, I'm in that relationship. How do I get out of the relationship? Oh, my God, that's me. Oh, my God, that's my best mate. And I've never had feedback like it. So what we're doing today, we've got this, uh, we're trialing St. New. We're doing a threesome. Where we're Our first. <laughs> Our first threesome, maybe. Um, and it's with myself, yourself, and the wonderful Karen who we brought on today. Yeah. And um, again, I, I, I was utterly overwhelmed by the amount of responses that came in from that podcast and especially from all the men that reached out as well, um, which I think really sort of shows the old story of men don't talk actually isn't yeah. true when you connect with them in the right way. I yeah. mean, obviously, I can't speak for men. Yeah. Y you know, I'm sure, you know, your insight into that was really important too. So as a result of all the questions and inquiries that we had about yeah. this, I thought it was really important to highlight an actual real narcissistic relationship so that you can understand through someone else's story how it plays out. Mm. Um, and obviously it was difficult to find someone who wasn't in a co-parenting relationship that would then, them telling their story, cause them problems down the line. So, um, you know, I found someone who's courageous yeah. and has survived a narcissistic relationship to come tell us our story. Yeah, happy days. Very much looking forward. Karen, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Yeah, really looking forward to this one because this is obviously we're just saying there, this is a whole new show for us, a new angle we're going down. But the title of this one will be Surviving a Narcissistic Relationship. So let's roll all the way back. When you first got into that relationship with your other half, what, what year was that and how old roughly were you? Um, I was 27. 
so um um 2005 2005 2005 okay. so a long time ago yeah and did you um, when you first got into that relationship where were you in the country was it um, i was here i was living in bournemouth i was working i you know i was just very living a very normal life yeah um we met online your classic direct dating back then yeah um and um it, yeah it was just I was 27, I was working, I had a career, but was like looking yeah. for somebody to, you know, settle down with and, and have an authentic relationship mm. with. And um, back then online was something that people were starting to try, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, now, it's, right. now it's how everybody yeah. does dating. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was, it was a date that, that turned into something that I've clearly survived. Wow. And when you say like dating back then, so that was obviously very new, 2005, your dating yeah. apps and what have you. Did you go on a first date at a local pub or a restaurant? Yeah, we yeah. did. We went to a pub and then we had a walk on the beach um, and sort of like, you know, what should have been like sort of a drink that was a couple of hours sort of turned into quite a long evening. Mm. Um, and what I now know to be um, quite narcissistic behaviour is, you know, this was a guy who we had a first date. It was great. He called me back. He texted me back. He was desperate to see me. So literally within that first week, I was getting calls, I was getting texts, I was getting flowers. I was being invited for dinner, um, you know, offers to take me up to London, all of that stuff. Mm. It happened very quickly. I was, it was quite overwhelming mm. actually. Um, but great because, you know, there I am 20, you know, yeah. first day it's, yeah. you know, first having a date online and oh my god this is this is great mm. you know he's got a good job he's got a nice you know nice place to live and he's really interested in me and doing what a lot of guys weren't doing which is actually calling me back and yeah. testing me back and yeah. wanting to see me why wouldn't i be yeah all in did you feel like you he, he swept you off your feet totally okay totally i was totally swept off my feet very quickly and how did that relationship develop did you did you um, how long were you how long were you together for uh, we were together in total eight years. Okay, and how did that relationship uh, start off with that first three months of romance and oh, go through the whole within thing? Within about three weeks, he'd moved in with me. Bloody hell. Wow. Yeah. Um, under the cover of the fact that he was developing a flat at the time, so he's living in a bit of a building site. And I was like, well, you can come and stay with me. Innocently thinking, but actually that was, that was the tipping point. Once he started living with me, that was it. Mm. You know, we, we were together. And he had no intention of us not being together. Yeah. So yeah, it happened very fast. And actually I, I, it was so, he made it so easy at the beginning that actually I didn't, I didn't see any red flags. I didn't know I was looking for red flags. Mm. I didn't really know what red flags were yeah. until kind of the end of our relationship. Yeah. Um, so it, it felt, it felt quite organic, but when I look back now, there were certainly things that actually I probably, you, w when you look back, you think, oh, actually, I should have, I should have realised that maybe that was a problem or that was that was something I needed to consider. Mm. What were the things that you registered at the time? You thought now, knowing what you know now, what were the things that were registered in your mind to go? God, he was really controlling. Was uh, it the controlling? Uh, not at the beginning. No. It it wasn't so much that. It was the more. Um, uh, how much he needed to be part of my world and me to be part of his world. I think one of the things was, I remember he was cooking me dinner and um, I'd had a long day at work, I was doing some stuff and I was late rocking up for dinner. And he was 
ridiculously angry to the point that he'd like thrown the dinner in the bin and it was such an overreaction mm. for what for what had happened mm. and the person being uh, the person that I was I, you know I felt dreadful I was like oh my goodness he's been so kind to me he's he's being lovely to me he's made me this dinner and I've made him really angry I need to I need to make up for that mm. so that is a prime example of how a pattern started very early on mm. of he you know of he would um, have an inappropriate reaction to something that would be completely normal to then get me to to be apologetic to apologize to just go oh, I'm so sorry you know you you were right I've, I've behaved badly it was a very slow mm. way of of um, gaining gaining control and did he, did you feel manipulated I didn't realize at the time no. you don't okay and he was eight years older than me um, so you were 28, 27, he 27. was 34. Yeah, exactly. Okay. He was older than me. He clearly had a bit more life experience yeah. than me. He'd been married before, had a child with another in another relationship. Um, so he, you know, he had lived a bit more than me. So yeah. I was very much, well, you know, I'm a bit new to this. Mm. I take a bit of guidance. Mm. Actually, maybe it is me mm. that is being inappropriate. Interesting. What did he tell you about the exes that had been in his life? Um, that they were hideous and that they treated him badly. Um, that, that, you know, they arguably they'd been abusive of him. They'd cheated on him. They'd manipulated him. They'd taken money from him. Um, the relationship that he had um, where he had a child out of it. I didn't know about that child until we were two years in. So wow. he, he hid that from wow. me. He why do you think? Why me. do you think? Why do you think he would want to hide that, Becky? Because here he is, intent on um, finding someone else for fuel, and so what they use is the backstory of them perpetually being a victim. They use the victim story to lure in caring people, right, okay. and the caring people are going to go straight into feeling the pain of that per that individual okay. the narcissist rather than um actually going hang on a minute there's a pattern here of quite right. destructive relationship why you know we can have one one you know that's really been a difficult relationship but when the story is the same yeah um we we're not we're not actually listening to our instincts at that point mm. so karen did you feel like you were really sympathetic to everything that he was saying absolutely why wouldn't i be he was telling me he'd had these horrible relationships these awful experiences that he'd been denied access to the when i found out about the child that he'd been denied access the story that i was told the story that i was fed yeah it's not now the story that yeah. i know wow. it was very cleverly done mm. to um to get sympathy, to get support, to, 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 for him to know that, you know, I wasn't gonna do that to him, mm. essentially. Mm. Um, that I wasn't going to be one of those women. Mm. And how did this relationship develop over the years? You were with him eight years, you're like, straight away he's moved in after three weeks. Uh, yeah. That's, that's, quite, that's quite quick, right? It's quite quick. Yeah. And actually looking back now, wow, how yeah. did that happen? Um, in that very short space of time, he was made redundant and his um, uh, mum was diagnosed with terminal cancer. Mm. So he also then had a lot of trauma, mm. as it were, to deal with. And so there am I being the supportive girlfriend. Yeah. Um, actually, what that triggered was for him to not want to deal with any of that and to essentially run away. Yeah. Um, but run away under the guise of going traveling. So we then spent 
a number of years traveling Europe and traveling around the country, just the two of us together, just the two of us together, 24 hours a and day. And how was that? All of the time. Um, it was a lot. <laughs> um, I can't, I'm not gonna, you know, I had a wonderful life for a bit, seeing lots of different countries, yeah. doing lots of different things, living a life that some people don't get to live. It came with a price. Mm. It came with a price that actually the way we did it was very much on his terms. Where we went, where we stayed, how we traveled, what we did. So I'm not I'm not gonna deny that it, it, some of it was great. A lot of it was frankly me walking on eggshells, wanting, uh, knowing that you know, I'm hundreds of miles away on the other side yeah. of the world with this person yeah. who's like, you know, making my life hell, but it's all right if we can just do this, yeah. we'll, we'll do the next bit. If we can just get to the next place, it'll be fine. If we can just get him doing this, it'll yeah. be okay. Yeah. What's that feeling like in a relationship where you're walking on eggshells? It, it absolutely um, plays havoc with your nervous system. Yeah. I mean, I, I literally spent, not just the years we were together, but the years since we were not together, escaping him essentially, um, living on fight or flight in eggshells, looking over my shoulder, constantly having to manage um, behaviors and actions to see if they would trigger yeah. something. Um, and it's a lot, it, it, it absolutely, Destroy, destroys you physically, mentally, and emotionally. Give me an example of walking on eggshells. Did you have the fear to say the wrong things? Did you have the fear 100%. of looking at a man? He's saying, "Why are you looking at the man?" Did you have the what? Give oh, me some examples. Oh, that happens all the time. Okay. I couldn't speak. You know, if we were to go out in town or go out with my friends, um, I couldn't speak. I I couldn't really speak to anyone else. He obviously managed all the money. He paid for my phone. Would look at my phone. So that he, he would look through your phone. Oh God, yeah. I, my my, oh you'd my have God. to hand the phone over. I uh, my phone was not my phone. My mm. money was not my money. He gave me money, and I had to ask for money. How did you allow yourself to get into that position? That's a really good question, isn't it? How can someone like me, yeah, who uh, you know had a job, her career, very confident, get into that state? And it's that's the thing I think that most people struggle to understand because they're like, why didn't you just get out? Why didn't you just do that? Why didn't you do just just do this. You become, over time, a shadow of that person that you want to be. It's done very insidiously and it's constant. It's day in, day out. Your confidence is eroded. Your independence is eroded. You're actively isolated from the people around you that are supportive that would call him out. Yeah. So he, he, you know, he would create arguments with my friends, would keep me from my friends, would keep me from my family, because they were people that would say, hang on, are you okay? Yeah. Do you need help? Do we need to help you get out? So it is a pattern of behavior that happens every day, day in, day out, four years. And you get to a point where just to manage getting through the day, it is just easier to give in. Is that right? To just say, okay. And just agree and go and along with it, just along, to keep the peace. Just to keep the peace. And if he, uh, you know, um, he would have arguments with lots of people. He's one of these people. It's great if he was your friend. If you did something to upset him, then he would punish you, mm. and 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 it would become all of his focus. And I would be used to continue that punishment. I would be a tool to continue that. And and it's just easier to do that. I didn't want to do it. 
I didn't, I would often look at it and think this is completely inappropriate, a total overreaction. But if I didn't agree, I made my life worse. Wow. And did you find that as the years went on, your life was getting worse and worse? Yes. But I was getting weaker and weaker. So you just think, oh, if I can just do this, it'll be okay. If we can just get to this point, it'll be okay. And then, you know, you're, you're five years down the line and I'm in my 30s and I'm like, I've invested so much mm. into this relationship. I've put so much of myself into it. I've got so much to lose. I just need to keep going. And actually, I'm in my 30s. I kind of want a family. Mm. How do I how do I give that up? How do I start again? And I didn't know if I could start again. And we were by that point, um I'd obviously given up work, we were traveling, we were then, you know, earning money in other ways. So I was completely conditioned by him. He controlled all the money. I didn't I you know, I didn't even have my own car. Uh, I had very little money in my own bank account. So I'm like, well, if I'm having to escape, how, how do I yeah. how do I start again when I have nothing? No job, no money, no car, no wow. phone that I pay for. Wow. No computer that so, I own. So you're completely trapped. Did any of your friends and family around you know that you're completely trapped and know that you're walking on eggshells? And did any of them actually say, Karen, what are you doing? Yes, but no. How do you how do you know something's not right, but on the surface everything is fine? How do you provoke that conversation? And how, for me, do I actually put my hand up and say, do you know what, it's not all right? Because if I put my hand up and say, no, it's not all right, I create a bigger problem. So it's easier for you it's to put on a front oh, to all your mates and family that totally. life is so good with this yeah, fellow. Absolutely, because, because I have to live with him day in and day out. And what would have happened if you did speak up to your mates and family and go, you know what, I'm completely trapped. He's got me at every single angle. I've got to ask to, for a £10 note to go somewhere. He pays for everything. What if you did come out? What would have happened in that relationship, do you think? I did come out, didn't I? Yeah. Oh, you did? You did, yeah. okay. But I wasn't strong enough to get out. So what they had to do was do what most people did around him which is flying monkey for my benefit they would like him when they needed to like him but they would support me how they could support me becky what are your thoughts on this i i think it's i think what we're hearing is a textbook um, example of what it's like to be on the receiving end of narcissistic psychological and covert abuse and the gentle ways that you're eroded and eroded and eroded into paralysis over making your own decisions because deep down you know survival you're in survival mode and survival isn't happiness survival mode says I've just got to get my needs met in the next day or the next moment but I think with Karen's story it's it, it's pivotal you know the story begins actually when the relationship breaks down. I mean, we're hearing about the contents of the relationship, but I think for you there was one pivotal moment which started to mean that you had to get your power back, and that was the arrival of, of your child. Yeah. So before we just get to you arrive your child, did you get married to this man before you had a kid? Yes, you because, did. because that was the deal. And, and how many years in the relationship of this eight-year relationship uh, did you get married? We were six years in. So it took six years? Yeah, because he knew... Uh, he knew 
to keep me, he essentially knew that actually a deal breaker was that I, I, I wanted a child, I wanted a family. And, um, and eventually it did become an argument that I would push, that on occasion I would, I would fight that corner for me. And then the well, you would fight the corner that you wanted a child, yeah. you wanted to get married to him, and you wanted a well, child I with him. Well, I didn't want to get married. Yeah. I wanted a child. And you were happy to have a child with him, even though you knew you were in an abusive relationship. I didn't. I didn't know okay. in the same way. Okay. I know. I know what I know now. Yeah. Back then, I was like, well, if we just get married, it will be okay. okay. If we just have a baby, it will be okay. If we just do these things and we invest this time and we invest this energy and I invest more of myself it will be okay. Did you find that you were waking up in the morning going, oh, I've got a whole day ahead of me. What, what's he gonna be like today? Um, some days, some days were better than others. Some weeks were better than others. And did he go to work and you stay at home? No, uh, we were together all of the time. So after, after I'd given up work and we were traveling, um, uh, we were doing a bit of property development and working independently, so he was home all the time and we spent a ridiculous amount of time together it's not healthy how much time we spent together i now know so so he mentally bullied you it sound sounded like yeah yeah, yeah. and did he ever physically bully you um we were getting to that point towards the end um it, 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 the escalation was was coming um but do you know what it would have been easier if he had physically bullied yeah. me if he had hit me um, what was more insidious was the way he mentally abused me day in, day out, for years. And the coercive control. I mean, I'm very grateful that people now have the conversation about coercive control, and it is now something that you can be prosecuted for. The sad thing is, it's still very misunderstood. Give me an example of the, menti the mental bullying he put on you. Um, uh, <laughs> it's, it's quite difficult to... Would he put you down? Would he say you're not oh, looking good? Would you say you're looking big? You'd say you're looking constantly. ugly. Give me a few examples. Yeah. Okay. So um, certainly he would. Um, he would. He, uh, a very good example is if I wanted to get my hair cut, one I would have asked have to ask for money to do that, and he would determine how I had it cut. He would choose my clothes. I don't think you should wear that. You should wear wow. this. And so if I wanted to do something different, that would be a fight. He spent a lot of time going, um, uh, you don't look very good today, you've put on some weight, you need to do some exercise, but you can't run, you're not a runner. Um, those kind of things. It was very insidious. So it's it gonna was, eat away at you all day, uh, every day. I, I, I can honestly say I was a shadow of my former self. I was told um, that I was rubbish at fitness, I was rubbish at sport, I was rubbish in bed. That was a, that's a classic um, uh, trait for someone like that to go. Well, you just need to be better at this. You need to be better at that. Wow. Yeah. How did, and, how, but how it, did that make you feel when someone says something like you're right? Even though you might be really good in it, but someone's got control of you saying you're actually rubbish in bed. That's going to make when you it when it's done consistently over a long period of time, you become you believe it because why wouldn't you? Because this person, who on the one hand is telling you all these horrible things about you on the flip side is giving you the kiss and telling you how much you're amazing, that you're wonderful, that they adore you. They're putting all these wonderful pictures of the two of you up on social media. Look at the wonderful life we live. Wow. Look at my wonderful fiance, my wonderful wife. Look at my wonderful life. So what you have is somebody who on the one hand is beating you yeah. and slapping you 
And then at the point at which you're you're like, oh, I can't do it anymore, they give you the kiss and yeah. says, but I love you, but you're wonderful. And if you just do this, it will be even more wonderful. Because, wow. Becky, on the, our episode, we spoke about the slap, slap kiss. Yeah. And actually, we're talking here on, a, on a Karen's view on it, but we've got friends who are male friends who are on the receiving end, exactly what you're yeah. saying here. Exactly. Yeah. Like, you're going to wear that. You haven't got the money. Unbelievable. Don't talk to this person. Don't talk to this person. Don't talk to that woman. Who is that woman you're speaking to last night? Why why weren't you back home at seven o'clock when you said you'd be back home at seven? It's going to eat away at you. But I think the biggest weapon that we've heard also is obviously backed up with Slap Slap Kiss is that how isolated Karen had been made. And that that is how they start to replace your identity by isolating you, by pointing out all the faults in your friends and families around you um, so that you start to doubt your version of reality. That's the gaslighting. The gaslighting deconstructs your own version of reality. You could have had a great family around you, but this person will point out all the faults of how they didn't show up for you and how they didn't do this, or start off smear campaigns about members of your family and friends. Oh, well, that's not what they said behind your back when you left the room. Um, You know, and they'll start to put doubt in your connection to the trusted people because what the narcissist has to do is isolate you as fast as they can Mm. from anybody that's a threat to their hold over you, Mm. Um, which is exactly what happened, as Karen's going to explain now, uh, in terms of when you have a child with a narcissist. Okay. So so you got up to six years, got married. Yeah. Eggshells. What was, when you decided to have a kid... Was it pretty much your choice that you wanted? Uh, no, he, he made it. He made it very much that, well, now I'm deciding we can. So we can. We're married now. And I've decided we can try. And actually, I was very lucky. You know, I got pregnant very quickly. And actually, he was, he was relatively calm, stable yeah. for him throughout the pregnancy he it was kind of it you know it was a new thing it was a new thing that was giving him fuel that he's posting loads of pictures look at my wonderful wife she's pregnant um and he was quite he was quite stable for him yeah. for a period of time did you find that he changed personality once you had a kid oh it was it was horrendous it was horrendous the moment that he changed um the moment i i went into labor right my whole labor experience was hideous made worse by him i didn't have a very good labor um it didn't help that at the point at which my labor started and i was like you really need to take me to the hospital now i'm not in a good place he was like well i'm not going to tell you until you stop shouting at me until you speak to me nicely we got to the hospital and i was like i'm in agony here you need to just park up and get me in the door no 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 we can't possibly park outside the front door we have to park in the right space i'm not doing that wow and yeah, it was it was ridiculous. He he was not supportive of me in any shape or form in that experience. How did he change once you gave birth? Um, he became um, more aggressive, um, more manic, and um, uh, less. Uh, just I was less able to manage him because basically. The reality is, if when you have a child, that child becomes your priority yeah. and they become your focus. Yeah. His problem was that that child was now my focus and he wasn't. So he was having to compete. Com- competition with his own kid yeah. for your attention. Yeah. My God. He was, he was also, if, if I recall your story, very, very hung up 
on the fact that um, you had some medical problems as you gave birth. And his response to that was the following. That he had PSD as a result and that he was traumatized by it. Let alone the fact that, you know, I had a really bad time and I could have died. Actually, it was all about him. So he was saying he had PTSD yeah. after you gave birth. Yeah, because of, uh, because of my trauma and of how wow. I had a traumatic birth. Mm. But he also mm. shouted at you continuously for months after that if, if, if she had listened to him, she wouldn't have got ill. So it's her fault that she got ill. Mm. with, uh, And that he was then ill as a result. Right. But if only she had listened to him, it none of okay. that would have happened. Mm. I mean, that mm. is horrific. Mm. Yeah. I mean, he uh, and I, I, you know, I was I was very poorly afterwards. You know, I'd had a, a very traumatic um, labour. I had preeclampsia. So it was actually genuinely, what's, I had labour. What's preeclampsia? Uh, labour, uh, preeclampsia is when you have the really high blood pressure. Okay. And I had labour-induced preeclampsia. And I, I very nearly died. You yeah. know, they had to whip Digby out, not because there was anything wrong with him, yeah. but because I was very Keep poorly. Life, yeah. And I was in hospital for quite a few days after, and I had to be looked after um, for quite some time after. Mm. Um, I lost a lot of blood, I was anemic, my blood pressure was all over the place. So I genuinely needed looking after. Yeah. And then I also had this little person yeah. that needed really needed love. looking yeah. after and actually had come into this world quite traumatically and mm. had his own issues. Um, and then I also had this other person who apparently also needed all of my attention and looking yeah. after. And it doesn't work like that. It How doesn't did, work like that. It seemed like you were under a lot of pressure yeah, post-birth. Yeah. With everything going in your personal life, yeah. everything going in yeah. physically and mentally, having a little one and having a husband who's not being that nice to you. No, he was hideous. I remember, um, obviously, I had lots of visits from the health visitor. I remember the health visitor coming round and he spent the whole session shouting at me. Um, I can't even remember what it was about, but he was he was very abusive. Who, um, the health visitor? No. No, your husband. Okay. To me, he was very abusive In while front. she was okay. there. And um, the next week, um, when I went to the clinic um, to get my son weighed, she actually pulled me aside and, go, and said, do you need help? Right. Do we need to call someone? Yeah. And do we need to call the police? And at the time I was like, no, 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 I'm really fine. I'm really fine. And actually, that is a prime example of him after having my son, that his behavior got so much that actually he wasn't able to control it so well in front of other people. It was becoming very apparent what he was doing to me. And other people were starting to see it and feel it a bit more. So you were with him six years. Are you telling me- Eight years in total. In total, but six years when you gave birth. Are you telling me in that whole six years, none of your family and mates knew what you were going through? They they knew things weren't okay. They knew they weren't perfect, but I, I didn't feel like I could tell them everything. Because also, once you do that, you have to do something about it. Yeah. And you also have to have the strength to do something about it. Yeah. They knew he wasn't right. They knew it, it wasn't great. But also I was still trying to tell myself that I could fix this and I could make it work mm. because I'd been conditioned to thinking if I did more, it would work. Yeah. Not if he did more, if I just did more and yeah. I did more of what he wanted, yeah. it would work. Mm. So you lose yourself in that. You lose who you are. Do you, did you completely lose your identity of Karen? Yes. Completely 100%. gone. I was a shadow of, of who I was. A total shadow. What knock-on effects was that for you mentally? I've had to do a lot of work yeah. to work out 
who I am. Because there's the Karen I was, there's that Karen, and then there's the Karen I am now. So there's the Karen from 0 to 27, yeah, and the Karen as an adult from 18 to 27, say. You yeah. had an eight-year period of him, who you completely yeah. lost yourself as the years went on. Yeah, and then I've had this eight, eight to nine-year period of escaping from him, because it doesn't, you don't, you, it doesn't end when the relationship ends. I've had eight years Bloody of having to escape. When was it? Him. When was it? When was it after you gave birth and you thought this is enough? Is enough? I need to get out of this relationship. I, I was. Uh, I mean, this has been used against me by him. Um, Obviously, after having my uh, my son, I was a bit poorly, and yeah. I had some postnatal anxiety, yeah. which I dealt with. Um, on top of everything else. On top of it, but, uh, yeah. but no surprise. Yeah. After having a traumatic birth, yeah. I have a bad relationship, and I had a bit of postnatal anxiety, not depression, anxiety. The anxiety comes very quickly after, yeah. so it was like about two weeks after, which I got some help and some counselling for. What does anxiety mean to you? Um, I I wasn't able to. I just wasn't, I didn't want to leave the house. I didn't want to do anything. I felt very stuck and and fearful, fearful that I wasn't going to be a good mother, fearful that I wasn't going to bond with my child, fearful that I couldn't do all the things I was going to do because I'd been told I wasn't any good yeah. at doing any of those things. So you then go, but I've got this little person yeah. who I love unconditionally, who is teaching me about love. Because yeah. let's be honest, what I was in wasn't love and yeah. I didn't know what it was. And this little person, literally the moment he cried has changed my world yeah massively and my overriding thought was how can i fight for him yeah. and teach him about love and what life should be if i can't fight for myself yeah and that's the tipping point and the tipping that tipping point came that i then got some counseling and do you know what that was amazing seven sessions but that seven sessions fundamentally changed my viewpoint because I could go to someone who didn't know anything about me mm. I would get dropped off mm. you know with my son in the car get dropped off and then I would get grilled when I came out about what I talked about well, what did you talk about what did you say did you well, talk so about me what did you well, so your husband knew you were going to counseling he had to take me because I had a stereo I couldn't drive so he was having and to he take was paying me. for it as well no 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 it was it was free because of uh, okay. my situation but he was but also he was controlling that he was taking me he was picking me up what did you did you say to him? I need to go to counselling for my anxiety, but deep down that was a cover for going to counselling to no, tell I, him about I, your. I went, I went for that, yeah. but obviously part of the anxiety and where I was at stemmed from stemmed yeah. from actually the life I've been living yeah. for that time. So what that did was free me up in a really safe space to actually work out who I was yeah. and what I wanted and what I needed, and more importantly, I couldn't be there for my child if I wasn't looking after myself. Would you say counselling, the, the the moment you met that counsellor the first time, give you advice, was that a game changer, a life changer for you? In that in that point in time, yeah. Mm. Yeah, because it just gave me space to breathe and think about me yeah. and my needs. And it was enough to just tip the balance of me going, hang on a minute, who am I? Mm. Where am I? What am I now? Because, you know, I was Karen and then I was married Karen, and now I'm a mum. Yeah. Now I'm mum Karen, and actually, this is the biggest gift I've ever been given, yeah. and I do not want to do anything other than win at this. Mm. And there, that's, I had, to, I had to make a change. I had to find some strength to work out how I did that. Did you open up to the counselor about everything? 
everything. Yeah. And everything. then when you come out, your husband would grill you, what you're talking about, yeah. but you'd keep 90% of well, it back away from you. Do you know what? But the whole point, I think a lot of people find this with counselling, is, is once it's out, you actually forget what you've said because the whole point is you've got it out. Yeah. So a lot of the times I would come out and I'd be exhausted. And he'd be like, what do you talk about? And I'm like, do you know what? I can't even remember it all because it doesn't matter. Yeah. It's out and yeah. I feel better. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, it's a bit of a misnomer. Like you've had, talked about all this stuff and it's great. For me, it was it was a release. It's therapy, isn't it? Yeah, it was. Like, it did was, you feel cathartic coming out of there? Like, yeah. Yeah. 100%. 100%. It's, I, you know, it, it was great. And it was a game changer for me. Mm. After seeing that counsellor for your seven sessions, what was the what was your movement over the next two years before you actually split with your husband? Oh, well, it was less than two. We were married for less than two years. And actually, um, uh, we... we we just about made it to our first uh, to our wedding anniversary for the second time. Um, I basically had got to the point where I wasn't really interested in his drama and the way he was doing things. I was interested in in making sure that my son was okay and that I was doing okay to provide all the things that I needed. I mean, he you know he was hideous. Again, he was controlling of all the money. My my son needed new teats for the bottle. He was like, we're not going to buy new ones. I just poke holes in them. Mm. So my auntie and uncle bought me new mm. ones. He doesn't need a Sophie the Dragon teething toy. Not paying any money on that. My auntie and uncle bought one back mm. from France. So what I learned to do was just manage. Yeah. If he would say I couldn't have something, that was at the point at which my family and friends were beginning to realise that actually things were not okay and I was asking for help and I was asking su for support. And, you know, we would talk and, uh, and they could see that I needed help but they... But it was very much, don't rock my boat, but can you be there if I need something? So that was the time when they were sensing something's really up. Well, they'd, they'd kind of known, but it was the time at which I was letting them okay, in okay. to actually what my world Good was like. You. Why did you not have a pound note in your own bank? Uh, because he controlled all the money. So you couldn't say, give me a couple of grand or give me a G or get no, 500 quid, no. I want it my own money. No. You had no. to ask every time you wanted something. Because that's control. And that's permission. And that is getting him to get me to go to him to say, but I need this, but why do you need it? What do you want oh, it for? It's control. It's control, it's coercive control. And it and it happens right at the very beginning and all the way through. And then you get to a point that I was, I was hiding money. I was asking for money and I was keeping money hidden. So these are all the red flags, Becky, that we're sensing here. Anyone in a relationship listening to this or anyone who knows in a relationship listening to this, these are all the red flags we're sensing here, right? Yeah, they're all lining up. The gaslighting, the love bombing, the gaslighting, um, the smear campaigns, the control, the isolation um, that builds self-doubt and cripple you and paralyze you into being able to help yourself. Um, I think it's also important to highlight that we're talking about money being used as control, but this wasn't a wealthy man. You know, for anyone here who's picturing traveling around the world and luxury and things like that, yeah. we're talking about a man who, if he had a tenner, you would have to justify your 50p. Um, and would be, um, I mean, one of the examples you also gave me was when he started to control food and how she ate. What? And would, and would, get, on, a, would get a sausage and chop up the sausage into chunks and allow her to have those chunks of sausages at certain times. Yeah. You're joking no, me. No, no, he would control food. So he would... <laughs> yeah, he would control Sorry food. Sorry to laugh at it. He, he would, would get a sausage, <laughs> chop it up yeah, and yeah. give you two yeah. pieces out oh, of the six. Oh, because, you know, you need to control what you're eating because you're getting too hell. fat. But also he, he would... Uh, alcohol was a big thing. He would use... Was he a boozer? Um, he inappropriately used alcohol. So he would, um, he would binge. 
and then he would try and get you to join in his binging yeah. because then he would he would abuse that situation i got to the point where i i didn't join him in it yeah because actually that experience was not great for me but what he would do is he would buy himself a bottle of wine yeah and then me a bottle of wine yeah. but he would have expensive wine and i would have the wine <laughs> he thought i could have and then he would drink his wine and then because i didn't really want my wine he'd then drink my wine and then become more abusive because he's yeah. pissed yeah jeez yeah we, 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 i'm just trying to get my head around this isn't yeah. quite when he used to drink a bottle of vino to himself and then tuck into your vino. Are you thinking, and you're sober and he's getting more drunk, are you thinking, oh, this is my worst nightmare? Yeah, yeah. because something is going to kick off. Something is going to, it, it could be the slightest comment or the slightest thing and then it would provoke an argument that would go on all night and then for weeks. So at this stage, what, what we're hearing about is the, you know, a classic day in a life of being with a narcissist, a true narcissist, and trying to cope, well, trying to parent as well with a narcissist, um, and battling against someone who's not able to fulfill a child's needs. Yeah. I mean, you know, they're, you know, with some narcissistic parents, they see the child as an extension of themselves. So sometimes with the mothers, if they're a narcissist, the child is an extension to themselves. So they do take care of the child pretty yeah. well. But in this instance, um, you know, we see this individual seeing the child as a threat, not an extension of himself, mm. which obviously then starts to escalate into the destruction of the relationship and the classic discard phase. So the destruction of the relationship, it feels to me, listen to this story, it's coming to, it's coming to an end where you need to end this relationship. Uh, yeah, it was getting to a point where um, I couldn't function in it anymore. He was getting um, more abusive, um, and obviously that was happening in, in front of my, my son, you know, the arguments, the rows. Um, and, I, and I actually got to a point where I was like, do you know what, I don't wanna do this anymore. And that's the scary bit, because at the point at which you get strong and you say, no, this is not okay. Your behavior is not okay. I don't want this behavior. I don't want this and I don't want this life. When you get to that point, which I did, and I, and I remember the point at which I got it, we had friends staying. He'd bought this stupidly expensive kit car that was an absolute nightmare. And we had friends staying and he, he was too busy working on the car. Didn't want to spend any time with our friends. And I had a poorly child and I, and I just snapped and I basically told him everything I thought about him. And obviously that was the worst. In front of your friends? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was obviously the worst possible thing to do um, uh, because um, he didn't like it. He didn't agree with it and he didn't want to do it. So the next morning he disappeared and he disappeared for four days. He took all the money. I took the car, took the money, left me with nothing. Left me with my friends, but with nothing. No money, um, we didn't really have any food, mm. and I didn't know where he went. Mm. And he just disappeared for four days. How did that make you feel? Uh, do you know what? I was just, done. by that point, yeah. I was done. Yeah. I was done. But I was like, I'm done, but I'm stuck. Yeah. I'm completely stuck. I've got no money. Yeah. I, I've got nothing that's mine. What do I do? How do I escape? Because... I know I need to, but I don't, I don't know how I do it. And I know when I do escape, he's gonna be hell. My life will still be hell, but I've gotta do it because I've got this little person that needs me to do so that. So you were thinking, I need to escape, but you were also scared to escape because you think your life would be even worse by escaping. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's the reality. And, that, and that's the truth. Bloody hell. And then, so, so when you escaped, how did you escape? I, well. How did you leave? How did you split up? Did you? Uh, do you know what? It, it, classic narc. Um, he, um, he got to a point where he was like, you need to leave because this is your fault. You need to leave and you need to sort yourself out. So he essentially dropped me off at my family's house with two bags of clothes and a box of toys. He discarded me. He threw me and my son out. Yeah. That was his. And at that point, and this sounds really bad, but at that point was a part of you going, happy days. There was a part of me that was just relieved. Yeah, relief. Get me out. Relieved because I literally had a minute. I mean, he wouldn't let me take the cop. He wouldn't let me take the pushchair. And he literally gave me the basic things. What he chose you to have. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So, so rolling on, when, you, when you've obviously, a dark obviously doesn't want you to tell all your friends and family exactly what's gone on over the last six, eight years. When you let it out to your friends and family, how did that feel to you? Oh, it's like a relief. Yeah. It was like, it was such a relief. But also it's scary because that's at the point at which you realise how much you've lost yourself. And actually, who are you now? And what do you do now? Yeah. How do you, how do you repair? How do you rebuild? How do you build a life? But it takes quite a quite a while before leaving and realizing. Oh yeah, it wasn't, and it, it wasn't. I mean, we're talking years for what, me so to realize. What to realize that you are not the Karen that everyone knew. It, it, it takes you. It takes you years to realize the trauma that you were in, mm. what it is, what it was, how it impacted you, and then how you can move forward from it. I mean, I, I'm still a work in progress now. And how many years has it been since you split? Uh, nine years. Nine years, you're still work in progress now? Yeah. It still affected you now, yeah, nine years Yeah, 100%. More so because of the next bit of my story, because of the escape. When you escaped, what happened in your world? Very quickly, um, he, I knew it would be bad, and I, and I also knew that because of the nature of him, he would give me nothing because he would assume I didn't deserve it because I'd left him. Even though he discarded me, I'd left him, and actually I would, and I wasn't going back. I made it very clear: if we were to try and have a relationship, he needed to do certain things. He did none of them, and within ten days of him throwing us out, he played the mental health card. And he said that he was going to commit suicide and he rocked up the doctors with his suicide kit. And I was like, well, you know, I can't have you around me or my child if you're going to do that. I'm not denying you access, but you need to get some help mm. before we can do that. Um, he never got the help he needed. And he actually, from, from that point, never made any effort to do the right things to have a relationship with his child. By using that suicide card, was that a control again? Yeah, absolutely. And also, if you say that you're mentally ill and, and that you're gonna commit suicide, you don't do any of the right things. I can't possibly, um, you know, go down, go down and apply um, to the, to the um, court to see my child. I can't, I can't possibly manage my money. I can't possibly work. I can't possibly do anything because she's made me suicidal because she's left me and taken my child from me. It's her fault that I'm like this. And you can't possibly have a go at me about my behavior because I might kill myself. Bloody hell. 
Um, and, and I think it's important that he was turning up at the, at the GP with a bag from B&Q with a rope in it and cable all the power and cable ties and everything. Now, you know... So he was taking that to doctors to say, I'm about to do this. Yes. To give... Yes. Yeah. To teach me a lesson. But to make oh. me come back. Yeah. Because at the time, he was like, but I want you to come back. Yeah. And I'm like... Mm. Did he want you to come back, not be... He Did didn't he, want me. No, he didn't want you, but he didn't want you telling everyone what no, you've no, been no. through. He, he, he didn't... He, it's because I wouldn't go back. Yeah, but he would. I'm sure he wanted you to come back. Is that to prevent yeah, you telling no, your no, family? No. Because I was a possession. Mm. It's because because he discarded me, and then he wanted me back. Mm. And because I wasn't going back, that was the problem. Yeah. He didn't. He didn't give a monkey's because he didn't think anyone would believe my story about him. Wow. I was a material possession. Yeah. My child is a material possession. We are something that he wanted back that I was saying you can't have. Mm. So then you go about getting it back just because you can yeah. and if you can't have it back then you punish and what was the what did he do to punish oh my gosh here we go <laughs> okay um very early on he was a very avid user of social media and he learnt how to use social media in a way to punish me he um would obviously put up about him um, him being suicidal, that it was my fault, that I was keeping his son from me, so he would use pictures of me, of my child, of, of uh, telling everybody how awful I was. He would also say that actually I was the one that was mentally ill because I'd had a traumatic birth and I'd had a bit of counselling. Mm. Obviously I was mental mm. because I didn't want to be with him. Mm. Um, then he would use my family and say my family and friends were actively keeping me from him um, and it was their fault he would use my image he would use my son's image he would put the most hideous posts all over social media so I would have people from all over the world commenting on these posts buying into his story of this lovely man who's suicidal who all he wants to do is get his family back and to see his son and I was preventing it and you know, and, and my family are stopping him from getting to me. So if he could just get to me, it would be okay. So I would then have all these people messaging me, asking me to just hand my child over. So the, the bloody hell. He I, made no attempt to see his child. I never point. denied him access. No. We tried mediation twice. He failed it both times. Mm. We tried to do access for a, through the children's centre, and I couldn't understand like. I'd set everything up, I'd been to the children's centre, everything was in place. Money I didn't have, I paid for my mediation, yeah. I paid for my children's centre. He gave me no money, he's, he's not giving me any money. So I was paying and doing my way, and I couldn't understand why it wasn't moving forward. And in the end, I went in there and I said, what is going on here? Because he's telling me he's doing all the things, but nothing's happening. And she said, I'm really sorry, we actually had to ban him from here. Yeah. I said, I don't understand. She said he was so abusive that he got banned mm. from the children's centre. Right. Which I then paid £80 for a report to have that report yeah. as my protection. How does it make you feel at the time when you were reading stuff like this again? He completely twisted this story around. Uh, do you know what? It's horrendous because all you want to do is to tell your story yeah. and to say, do you know what? It's not me. I'm a victim here. I've been abused for years. I am not that archetypal woman who's denying him access to his child. He actually just doesn't care. 
He'd never bothered. He never made any application to the court. I offered him access. He just never took it. And when he became unsafe, I put security measures in place so he could access, have access, but in a safe space. Mm. He never did anything mm. about it. What, secu so, what security things did you put in place? Oh, God, I had to... When, when his behaviour got more erratic, I mean, there was a lot of security in place because very quickly after we separated, he just left the country and disappeared for a few years. So I was physically physically safe in that he wasn't yeah. in the country. However, um, he would use people and acquaintances, some people he knew, a lot of people he didn't know, because he would he would garner fuel and friends on social media. He would use people to contact me. I was followed, I was watched, I he knew where I lived. Um, he would use people to try and get to me and to try and and to try and get to my son. He would get them, like if there were pictures, he would get pictures and he would get pictures of my son and then he would put abusive messages that I'm being denied, look at this child, he's being denied, yeah. having a father, all this kind of stuff. So I got to the point where I had to shut down all my social media. Yeah. I cut everybody out of my life who still had a connection to him. Yeah. People who had been friends for years, it basically wasn't safe for me to have them in my life. So yeah. I had to cut everybody out. Mm. And I think, again, you know, we think of a narcissist in in our physical lives, right? We don't actually equate what the damage they can do through social media um, and, you know, how inadvertently we can all be used by them mm. to hurt other people. Mm. I mean, a lot of the people that came abusively to Karen were believing the narrative of this poor guy who's been denied access to his son for all this time and how she'd stolen all, the reason he didn't have any money when he was, you know, drifting around the world was because she took all of his money and took the house no, it wasn't a house. No. Um, took everything yeah. and how this awful person, K Karen and her family. So he built uh, an army globally of people who are good people, mm. who believe the story, who have no idea that they've been used as weapons to hurt her mm. and and an innocent child. Mm. I mean, you know, they. it got to a point where, you know, these people, uh, my son became like this material thing, like I just needed to hand him over. Mm to this man who he doesn't remember, who he, he he didn't know, but but I needed to hand him over because that was the right thing to do because he was a good dad and and he and he needed that. And I was like, and these are genuinely good people who bought into a story that they weren't even interested in seeing the other side of. And I couldn't tell it because if I told it, I was giving him fuel. Yeah. So anyone who spoke up or spoke to him on my behalf actually made my life worse right, okay. because they gave him fuel because there was a little chink yeah, that he it. might be able to get to me. Yeah. So I literally had to learn the hardest lesson that anyone has to learn, mm. which is to sit on my hands and say nothing and do nothing, but know that what I was doing legally yeah. was right. Yeah. You know, I went down the legal, legal process. I, pa I paid for my own divorce. I did everything. I did it all right, and I can categorically say that if anybody was to look at it from two sides, from my side, I ticked all the right boxes yeah. and I did all the right things. Yeah. You should never have to go to the police to 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 be to have your child protected because there are people that you've never met that had actually also never met my ex-husband harassing me to get access to my child. Um, I should never have to do that. When did you go to the old bill? 
uh, uh, numerous times. And what what were those? What were the reasons? Because I was literally being harassed by people that had been asked by him to okay. contact me, or even not asked, okay. thought it was okay to contact me and say, you need to hand, my, I basically needed to hand my son over. And the reason that got progressively worse was because he was actually diagnosed with terminal cancer. Right. So he came back into the country, was diagnosed with terminal cancer, and I, I don't wish that on anyone or anything, but it became a golden ticket and it became the story that I'm a man dying of cancer and all I want to do is see my son. Nobody considered yeah. the reasons why actually he wasn't, yeah. which was because he never even tried. Yeah. And two, that potentially could have been facilitated in the right, safe way, with social services, with CAFCAS, with support. Did you ever give him access to your son with you not being there? No. No, okay. Because he actually, 10 days after he threw us out, he played the suicide card and yeah. then he never engaged with the process afterwards. It was not even an option. Yeah. He didn't try. Yeah. So that I gave would you, have done, yeah. I would have done yeah. if he had engaged with the process. He yeah. never did. Okay. He never did. He had so many options and I was open to it as long as it was done safely. And he got himself banned from the children's centre. Yeah. So we couldn't even do it locally. Yeah. We were looking to have to go to Portsmouth, yeah. which he refused to do. Mm. So anyone listening out there who's in a relationship where they feel they're walking on eggshells and they know they can't see a way out and they know they're losing their friends around them and they're losing their family around them because of the relationship they're in, what advice would you give to them? That you have to find safe spaces where you can just talk about it but still function in the life that you're in that you can know that it's safe that they will look after you they will protect you that they will hear you and they will help you get strong that's what you need and it could be one person it could be a number of people it doesn't even have to be family but you just need to know that there are people that are safe i was very lucky i did have friends and family who have kept me safe and to this day have kept me safe and kept my son safe mm. you know because it's interesting women speak and the conversation becky and i had on episode 103 about the dangers of being in a narcissistic relationship was really about men not speaking what advice would you give to a man who's stuck in this relationship who, who hasn't got who's been pushed away from their family and pushed away from the friends and won't want to admit it to their friends because it's a sign of weakness, where would they go? Even if it just takes one person or, or one group, even if it isn't a friend, if it is someone, I don't know, you can get help through counselling through work or, or you can find someone independent who will just listen yeah. and give you space to breathe. And even if it's someone online, we're online everywhere nowadays is it is it your random instagram follower who's actually realized that maybe some of your posts are a bit you know and ask you are you doing okay mm. can you talk to them great it's still a space to talk what if your other half your wife your girlfriend whoever has got access to all your instagram your facebook all your codes and everything you can't do it online then you just have to find a different way of doing things you have to try and build into your life whether it's you know, can you go to the gym? Is there someone at the gym that you can talk to? Can you just go for a walk on the beach? Are you running? Can you maybe join in a running group? And actually that's quite safe because it's just an hour mm. and they know who you are, they know what time you're going and what time you're coming back. It's just trying to work it in 
to your life. Even if it's five minutes, two minutes, it's just enough to top you up. What would you say if a group of lads know that your mate's in a narcissistic relationship, but you can't speak up to him because he will deny it, but we all know. So it's not even about that. It's just having a conversation. It's just being supportive. It's just keeping the door open to, to, there might be one day where it's so bad that it might just initiate a bit more conversation. Yeah. It might, you might just say a bit more, you might just hear a bit more. And because you're there and you're open and you're listening, it might just be enough. Mm. It's interesting that is because you've always got the, none of the lads would want to speak to certain blokes just in case you're seen as the bad person. And because that person is so controlled by their wife that if that comes out in that relationship, the wife will push you away. The husband, who's your mate, will push you away. It's only when they've split up one day that he will realise. It, you know, good point. Um, and I think for if you're a friend or a loved one of someone that you suspect is in an abusive relationship, you've got to become a safe person, um, and that is to be not rejected. Don't feel rejected mm. when they isolate you. You know, it can be very easy to suddenly, you know, be like, oh, they don't ring, they don't call, I'm not gonna bother with them anymore. Um, you have to respect some of that space, but also find a way to just engage, like you say, it could be just a little note on social media. You know, when, when someone doesn't bother with us, we stop bothering with them. Yeah. But if someone's being isolated, you need to just find an appropriate way to just constantly, just every now and again, Just let them out. know you're there. Yeah. Yes. That's it, it's just, so they don't actually feel like you have left them and rejected them and they are as isolated as they That's are. That's a really good point there, Karen. So if you didn't want to speak up to your mate because you'd know you might get pushed away or the wife might get pushed yeah. away, to, do you think just to say, just, just to say a, a real quiet word to them on a message or whatever, just to go, just to let you know I'm here for you. You just, like, do, you reckon I'm just a, do you reckon that's powerful? Do you know what I do? And I do it now, and so many people did it to me. I'm just checking in. You don't need to reply. Yeah. Because on one of those messages, they will. Yeah. That's it. It's as simple as, I'm just checking in. Yeah. You don't need to reply. Okay. That's powerful, you know? isn't it? It's really powerful. Because you can both read into that, and you but both that, know exactly what's going on. And, and it just lets them know that you know yeah. they might not be okay. Yeah. But actually, they might be okay. And actually, what they're going to tell you is something really good happened today. Yeah. And that's great because it's not, you know, there are slight chinks yeah. <laughs> in it that are, are good. Or actually, they might be in a space where they're having a really bad day and they do want to say something. Mm. And they might just say a little bit and then it's done and then, and then the door will shut again. Mm. But the fact is, you kept that door open. Yeah. They yeah. might shut the door, but you're keeping it open. Yeah. And I think just to add to that really good point, Karen, is when if someone does start to disclose to you that they're in a, an unhappy or a toxic relationship, I mean, most people in a toxic relationship don't use that language. No. They don't describe themselves no. as being that until they're healed enough to realize what they were in. But if you if someone does sort of start to say how unhappy they are and you are starting to hear some things, you're thinking this is this is above and beyond, you know, two people who just perhaps aren't communicating well or in the same place. I think it's important, especially for guys, to not jump in with, well, you need to leave her. Yeah. You need to do this. You need to do that. You know, I think, you know, the men can be very quick to jump in to yeah. fix, yeah. and but not understanding the complexity of the problem yeah. that they're offering solutions yeah. about. Um, so 
yeah, just perhaps start to just listen and mm. go, well, you know, I'm here for you. Let's chat mm. again. And um, and then get permission to offer some solutions. Mm. But even big, tough men being ruled and controlled by an eight stone wife, they would have a massive fear that if they said, I've got to end this relationship, I'm not liking your behavior because you're getting pissed every day or you're using cocaine or you're arguing or you're pushing all my mates away from me or you're just isolating me completely and you've actually knocked me down, knocked me down to build me up, to build me up into the person you want me to be. Oh man, that's just, for me, that's just, but it, but again, uh, it no, happens and it's happening. It and does happen. No one's exempt. No. Like no one is exempt from this. It doesn't matter how big you are, how tough you are, yeah. how wealthy you are. But also, none of us are exempt from being a flying monkey. Yeah. You know, somewhere yeah. we're all being used, or someone is attempting to use us as a tool to hurt another person. Yeah. So when you next hear encounter somebody who, in the first you know, very small space of time discloses far too much of a victim story. Yeah. Um, just check in and think, hang on, yeah. you know, am, am I being brought into um, this person's yeah. victim story? Because if you are, they're sussing out and measuring whether yeah. or not they can use you yeah. as a weapon to someone else. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm a, I'm a classic example of, um, of, you know, he created this whole story about how he's been denied access um, to his child, how it was making him mentally ill, how it was my fault because I was mentally ill and my family and friends were keeping away from uh, keeping him away from me. So much so that you had the lady who ran the narcissistic bullying helpline yeah. website contacting me and my family <laughs> to, to have a go at me to say that I should be just handing over my son and oh doing my God. that. So you have someone... So she's controlled she, the narcissistic bullying website. She doesn't realise yeah. that she was being used yeah. to continue yeah. punishing me and bullying me. And, and, and actually what she was doing was attacking the victim on his behalf. Yeah. There were so many people, really, really good people, who he used to continue to attack me right up until he died. So you had an eight-year relationship with your husband... How many years of abuse did you have to deal with until your husband passed away? Eight, seven, eight. Eight years. Yeah. And did anything in that period? Did you have any of his ex-wives or girlfriends come to you at all yes. in that period? And yes. you all spoke in the open of. They they basically came to me to try and understand, you know, the type of relationship they'd had with him. Um, uh, one who I'm still friends with now was a lady called Susan, who he met while he was travelling. Um, they met on an island very quickly. They were in a relationship, so much so he moved to America to live okay, with her. Okay. And they'd, they'd known each other about a month. That seven-year period, you were in an eight-year period relationship with this bloke, which just sounds like it was painful, if I'm honest yeah. with you, when, I, when I'm listening to this now. Was it even tougher for the seven years after you left the relationship? Yes. I think it was worse in many respects because you're trying to escape, you're trying to build a new life. And he... Um, didn't leave me alone he wouldn't let me go he was just um trying uh, to still be in my life to still have control and where he couldn't get control or he couldn't get to me directly he was getting other people to mm. try and to try and get to me i was harassed i had to um i i had to call the police i uh, was constantly looking over my shoulder I got to a point where I could put um, no pictures of my son on social media because they would be saved and by other people and taken and given mm. to him and abused. 
and I would I would set I would go somewhere and then if I was to post on social media where I'd been I would do it after I'd left yeah so nobody knew where I'd been yeah I've I actually moved to a property where it was a first floor flat where you had to get through two doors yeah. where I could see out the window so I could see. So you purposely went for that just so people yeah. had to go through doors to get... Oh, because you had to go through doors to get to me and I could see who was in the road if they were ringing my doorbell. So for the first eight years, you were living in fear. For the next seven years, we're splitting up with him. You're still living in fear, but and it got worse. And looking over your shoulder because you just didn't know what he was going to do. I, I had to have um, safeguarding measures put in at school. So if anything were to happen, if somebody was to turn up at the school gate, that the, the, the teachers would know and that they would, they would make sure that my son was safe. Mm. So in 2020, your husband passed away. He did. How did that make you feel? Honestly, I, I wished for freedom. I didn't know how I was going to get it. And as awful as it is, it was a relief because I, because I was free, because I didn't have to look over my shoulder the whole time. And I knew that my son was safe, that he didn't, he would, he would never have to really experience all of this behavior that I had for years, for years and years and years. And that I'd done such a good job of trying to protect him from, but at the same time still give him a really normal life. Mm. And I've got to a point where I can now live a normal life, but it's taken an adjustment. So, you know, I lived the eight years of the marriage, the, the relationship, I lived the eight years, seven, eight years until he died. And I've now lived the two years of what freedom actually means. And that's still been a learning curve yeah. to learn to live without looking over my shoulder, to know that I can make different choices and do different things. Wow. It's a lot. Karen, this is some story. It really is. It's uh, You're a very incredibly strong woman. It's made me strong. Yeah. Because I had two choices. I had to fight for myself and my son or yeah. not. I fought for my son. Yeah. And to do that, I had to fight for myself. Yeah. Powerful. Right, let's end it there, I think. This has been a really, really good episode. And I thank you for sharing everything you've shared and your honesty, because I think you're gonna help thousands of people out there who may be in a relationship like this, whether it's a man or a woman. Thank you. Thank you for, for giving me the chance to tell a story which I actually can tell. Yeah, wonderful. Really appreciate you coming on, Karen. Thank you're an you. absolute superstar. I wish you all the best in the future for you and your little boy. And Becky, I wanna say thanks mm -hmm. for giving you advice and helping here too. Thank you. And obviously anyone that this resonates with, be it male or female, yeah. please reach out to um, National Domestic Abuse Helplines. Please go on Google and look, there are so many agencies with the beginnings of starting to how to help you yeah. um, because you do deserve to be free. Yeah. And there are organizations that are learning to better support you to be free yeah. as well. Wonderful. Thank you, Karen. Thank you, Becky. It's been an emotional one. It's something that I've really enjoyed and I know we're going to help a lot of people. Cheers, guys. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you.